take advantage of that. Well, I'm, I'm Pastor Ben, and it's my privilege this morning to launch into our first service together in the new year. And we're going to start a new sermon series, and I'm very excited about this next seven weeks that we're going to journey together through a sermon series called Church People. Now, before we get into that, I have to ask you a question. And this is a question that's not a deep spiritual question. It's just, it's just a question, and just to help us into our conversation today. But how many people in the room know what a mystery shopper is. You know what a mystery shopper is? A few of you know what a mystery shopper is. Now, for all those who didn't raise your hand and, and don't know, mystery shopper or, or to mystery shop is simply a job where you get paid to go shopping or to go out to eat. Now, if that sounds pretty good, I'll tell you firsthand, it's great. Because 10 years ago, this is one of my jobs. I was working at a church, but I need some extra money for Ashley and I as we were just starting out in our, our journey as a married couple. And so on the weekends, I would go mystery shopping. Now, this is what that was like. I had an app on my phone, and when the company wanted me to come mystery shop their store or their restaurant, they would send me a message. If I had time, I would say yes. And I would go to that store, and I would try on a pair of jeans or buy a pair of jeans, and then I would go home, submit my receipt, they would reimburse me for the jeans, I'd write a review of my experience, and then they would pay me for my review. Sometimes it wasn't jeans, sometimes it was like the Olive Garden or McDonald's, and they would tell me what to buy, I'd buy the entree, and then I'd go back and write a review on the store, the staff, the bathrooms, whatever they'd ask me, and then I'd get my money. It was, it was a great gig. Now, as I did that for a while, I actually got upgraded, and I became a Blue Bunny ice cream taste tester. Now, I'll just tell you right now, there is no better job than a Blue Bunny ice cream taste tester. I mean, that's like the pinnacle of life at that point in time. It's all been downhill since then. I mean, that, that was the moment, my shining moment. It was the closest thing to heaven I think you can get. But this is what I did for a Blue Bunny. I would go there on the weekends. I'd get put into a room. I'd sit down. There was a little table in front of me and a computer. And there was a little door. And the door would open, and they would slide out ice cream to me. And my job was very simple, eat the ice cream, okay? And then after I'd eat the ice cream, I would write a little review on like, hey, this is how I thought it tasted. And then after I was done, I'd hit submit. They'd hand me out some water to drink and cleanse my palate. And then out would come more ice cream. And I would do this all morning or all afternoon or sometimes in the evening. This was pretty awesome, right? Just people giving you free ice cream and then paying you to eat the ice cream. I mean, like I said, it was pretty phenomenal. In fact, it's so phenomenal, you might be thinking, why do they have to pay you for this, right? Why don't you just go and do it for free? Why would they put all this effort in? Well, the reason a business does this is because they understand the value of feedback. They know with the right feedback that they will become a better version of themselves. They will reach the pinnacle of being in, in that in that space in the business world. And so they want feedback and they are willing to pay for it and willing to give you stuff to accomplish that goal. You see, feedback is incredibly important in our lives. But a lot of times we don't want feedback. Because the truth is sometimes feedback just hurts, doesn't it? You go on the basketball court and you give your full effort and your coach calls you in at halftime and says, you guys did this and this and this and this wrong, and it doesn't always feel good because you're thinking, 
I can hardly breathe. I have given you everything and I've practiced hard and I still have all these things that you're telling me that I have to fix. Or maybe at work, it's the same way, right? You, you work really hard in the project and your boss comes in who's overseeing you and says, look, we're just not doing this project at all. And, and that hurts. Or sometimes people will tell you something about yourself that you cannot change. And like, you know what? The way you approach this area of life or, or the way you look or the way you act, we don't really like that. That's tough feedback. Because you're thinking, I, I can't change that at all. But the truth is, feedback, especially good feedback, is so valuable to our lives. And when we get good feedback, we should be open to receiving it. In fact, as Christians, we should be familiar with feedback because what is a, a value that we have in the Christian church? Well, the word of God is a strong core value that we believe this is, is truth for our lives. But what is the Bible? The Bible is a conversation between the creator of life to his creation that gives us what? Feedback, right? It doesn't take very long to read through the Bible and we learn very quickly that we aren't doing it right. And because of that, there's very severe consequences, but he does give us a path, a path for this life and a path for the next. You see, feedback is so important, but God actually took it one step further, right? Instead of just giving us a book and saying, here's your book, read it and figure it out. Two weeks ago, what did we celebrate? We celebrated Christmas, which is a story of God with us, Emmanuel. Jesus was born in a stable, lived life like we have lived life, grew up to teach and, and show us how to live and then create the ultimate solution by going to the cross and paying for all of our sins, all the ways that we have screwed up in our lives, which is pretty amazing. But what happens next in Christ's story to me is always so shocking when I just stop and think about it. Because after Christ has come back to life, he walks around and he does something that I think is kind of nonsensical, at least from my perspective. Instead of going back to teaching and preaching and, and setting the standard, he hands the mission off to his disciples. He hands the mission off to the church and to humans just like you and I. He doesn't really give them much details on how to do it, he just says, this is the mission I want you to go share my story to the whole world, baptize people into the faith, teach them the faith, and then he ascends into heaven to just watch. Have you ever wondered what Jesus thinks when he looks down at us trying to fulfill his mission? You ever thought what Jesus thinks when he, when he looks at our churches in our modern day? Maybe you have. In fact, maybe you've had this conversation with some friends and you think, you know what, I bet Jesus is pretty upset when he looks down and he sees churches without steeples. Or maybe you said, I think Jesus is pretty upset when he sees steeples and the bells haven't rung for 25 years. Or maybe Jesus is upset because the pastor who's wearing an alb and a stole, well, his stole is kind of crooked and, and doesn't he respect his office? Or maybe he's wearing a stole and that upsets Jesus because then he feels like the, the pastor is separating himself from the people. Or maybe Jesus is upset because there's a rock band in church. Or maybe Jesus is upset because they're using an organ. After all, that didn't come around until a thousand years after Jesus walked the face of the earth. You see, a lot of times when we stop and think about what would upset Jesus, we naturally gravitate to think what upsets Jesus is what upsets us. And if we live in that space, we have a real problem because that has nothing to do with being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
You see, when we want God to be simply just upset with what upsets us, that makes God or Jesus a follower of us instead of us being a follower of Jesus. You see, to be a true follower of Jesus means that what upsets Jesus upsets us. So over the next seven weeks, we're gonna ask ourselves this question. What would Jesus say if he mystery shopped our church? What would Jesus say if he mystery shopped any church in the Sock Valley, in our state, in the world? What would he say? Now you might be thinking, well, how are we ever gonna know that? Well, the good news is the Bible actually gives a pretty clear picture of what that looks like. Because Jesus actually did this for seven different churches in the first century. And so today we're gonna study about our first church and the feedback that Jesus offered. So the question is, would it be about their architecture? Would it be about their clothing? Would it be about their music? If Jesus could talk to a church, what would he say? Well, this is what he said to this church. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So right away, we see that there is a specific church that this writer is talking to, and this church is in a city called Ephesus. Now, to understand a church or to understand any church, you have to understand the history of the church, right? To understand new life well, you've got to know the history of new life to really understand the heartbeat of, of who we are. The same is true of this church in Ephesus. So let me give you a little backstory. There was the Apostle Paul, who is the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, and he started planting churches all around the whole known world at this point in time. And so he went into the city of Ephesus. Now, at the point in time when, when Paul goes in there, the city of Ephesus is thriving on every level. They are, are a wealthy, a proud port, right? There's a lot of people from all over the world coming there. They have a lot of commerce going on. This is the church of Ephesus. And Paul plants a church right into the middle of that. About a quarter of a million people are living in the city at that point in time. Now, as time goes on, Paul does what Paul does. He hands the leadership reins off to somebody else, and he hands them to the disciple John, who becomes the first bishop over this church. Now, during John's leadership, something bad starts happening. This city gets into corruption. And so everything about the city that was soaring is now plummeting, including their morality. They are becoming incredibly immoral. And this is creating tension between the church, which is teaching God's truth, his moral truth, and the city, which wants to do whatever they want to do. And so they become at odds with each other. In fact, it gets so bad that now the people of the city of Ephesus are intentionally persecuting this church that, that John is overseeing. So that's all important to understand as we think about this church, but there's something else here that's so important. Here's a, here's a detail we have to understand. It says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, to us, if we were just to read that, that really wouldn't make much sense unless you are a really good student of the book of Revelation, or if you read the first chapter before we got to the second chapter. But if you were to back up, you, you would see who this section of scripture is talking about. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So this is Jesus actually giving feedback to this church in Ephesus. 
So what is he going to say? Well, this is what he says. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Now, I, I love how he says this. He says, I know. In other words, I'm looking at you. I care for you, right? I, I'm concerned about what you're concerned about, right? I'm paying attention to you, and this is what I see. And he starts off with something good. He says, you are a hardworking church. And not only are you a hardworking church, but when things get tough, you keep going, right? You have, you have heard what I taught while I walked the face of the earth, right? You, you have read what I, what I taught that's now encapsulated into scripture, and you are trying your best to follow it. And you are trying your best to fulfill the mission that I have given, to tell the world about Jesus Christ and to raise people in the faith, right? This is what the church is doing really, really, really well. They work hard, they try hard, and they don't stop when things get difficult. Now, for us, I think, as a church, this is a great message, right? I think the, the key that's probably for us here is that when things get tough, you just keep going. Maybe for some of you, you're feeling this right now. In 2021, you thought, you know what, I'm going to kind of lean into our kids and teens ministry. Maybe you volunteer with Kid Life or Teen Life, or maybe you thought, you know what, I'm going to start a life group. And so you, you went to start a life group, you invite some people in, or maybe you started a ministry, but things aren't going quite like you wanted, right? You had a vision of what would happen, but all of a sudden, there wasn't the response that you expected. Or the amount of people that you wanted didn't show up, or, or the conversation didn't really flow as well as you thought it would flow, and it's so much harder than you thought, and you wanted to see more fruit, but it's just not there. For Jesus, the message to us, and the message from this church is a good example would be keep going. You know, this is where God has put your heart. Keep going, because the fruit is always around the corner. So he continues with his feedback, and he says this. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. So what else is this church really, really good at? They're really, really good at recognizing evil or lies or false teachers. Now, how do you get good at this? Well, in order to be good at recognizing evil, you need to know the truth. This, this church was really, really solid on God's word, right? They knew God's word, they taught God's word, and because they knew this, they could tell when things weren't going the way they should go. They could tell when false teachers tried to creep something in that wasn't quite in line with, with God's word, and they would call it out right away. Now, what would happen in that church is the same thing that happens in our churches in our modern day, right? There's different conversations happening, but still what happens, people have false notions that they try to creep into our church, which means knowing the word of God is so important. In fact, our modern day, we have these same things that creep into our churches. It sounds a little bit like this. Now, if you have enough faith, or if you have a good enough relationship with God, or if you just believe the right things, then God's going to make you rich. Or God's going to make sure you never get sick. And if you are sick, well, then you don't have enough faith. That's one of those lies that's crept into our modern church. How, how about this one? That no one goes to hell. Right? There's a heaven, but there's no hell. Which, of course, if we look at Christ's life, this makes no sense. Because what's the point of Christ coming and dying on the cross if there is nothing that he's paying for? Sin is real, and the consequences of sin are real. The Bible's very clear on that. How about, how about this? 
There's many ways to heaven. Well, Jesus himself would refute that because he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, this church was a church that knew God's word. So when a lie would creep in, they knew what was false. Here's what else they were good at. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. So here's another compliment, an example that this church sets for us. What he's talking about is the persecution that they were experiencing. Like I said, as the city became more immoral and they were going kind of down the tubes, the church was running into that a little bit because they were teaching the truth while the city was teaching the lie. And because that, persecution broke out, right? The people didn't like this church that was telling people that what they were doing was wrong, and so they started being very aggressive towards them. And when I say aggressive, I, I don't mean like our modern-day Sock Valley persecution that we might think we experience where we post a Bible verse and someone unfriends us on Facebook and we're like, I can't believe I'm so persecuted. I'm talking real persecution, right, that other areas of the world experience. Like this is the type of persecution where you come home and your house is burned to the ground because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the persecution where you come home and your daughter is gone because someone took her just because of your belief in Jesus Christ. This is the persecution where you come home and your brother is laying dead on the floor because of his belief in Jesus Christ. But even though this stuff was happening in this city, what Jesus noticed in them is that even though they were experiencing all those horrific things, that they never wavered from their faith and they held on to their faith. Well, Jesus continues, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. So here we get into the hard part of the feedback. This is the space where Jesus says, you've done everything really well, these few things you've done really well, but this is the one thing that you have really missed the mark. And what he's saying to them is, your core motivation, it's not right anymore. Right, your core motivation is off. Now, this is a letter, but if it was a dialogue, I would assume that this church would probably respond some way like this. They'd say, but Jesus, we follow every letter of the law. To which he would respond, you're right, but you forgot the spirit of the law, which is to love God and love others. Everything you do has to be motivated by love, Everything you do has to be motivated by the Great Commission, which is to do the loving act of proclaiming Christ's loving act to the world. Jesus goes on in this thought. He says, remember then what you, from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So he says, you have been doing these things very well, but your motivation has been all wrong. You see, when you work hard, your motivation now isn't because you want to express love or, or, or spread the Great Commission, the mission of Jesus Christ and the story of Jesus Christ. Your motivation is somehow tainted. Right now you want to look good or you want to feel good about what you're doing, but your motivation isn't actually about Jesus anymore. Or when you call out people on their sin or you point out false teachers, you're not actually doing it from a spirit of love. 
right? You're not telling them they're wrong or they're misguided because you love them and you want them to go in a better direction. You're just saying it. Or when you're persecuted, how do you respond to that person who's persecuting you? Is it in a response of love? Like, is your core motivation to love them while they're hurting you so that they can experience Christ's love, which of course would be incredibly difficult to do. But somewhere along the way, their core motivation got tainted and it wasn't motivated by love. It wasn't the driving force behind everything they did like it used to be when Paul was there. So what does Jesus do? He gives them this warning. He says, if you continue in this way, I'm gonna remove your lampstand. Which once again, in our modern context, this makes almost no sense. Because you're thinking, so what? I don't need to use a lampstand. In fact, I got a lampstand for my wedding. It's silver. It's very nice. It's in my attic. I've never opened that box. Or if I really want a lampstand, I'll go to Walmart and buy one for five bucks. That's obviously not the point. You see, the lampstands that Jesus is walking among the seven golden lampstands are these seven churches. What Jesus is saying here is a very stern warning. That if you don't get this right, I'm going to take your church away. Because your church actually isn't doing what it's supposed to do. It's not motivated by love. It's shining light on the wrong things. And I'd rather it shine light on nothing if it's going to shine light on the wrong things. Well, it continues. Yet this is to your credit. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he closes his, his feedback with this. He said some really positive things about this church. He's got that one core issue that he's trying to address. He says one more nice thing, which is there's this group of Nicolaitans. And what these were, these were Christians who had bought into some false teachings about sin, and they were trying to normalize sin. And they are trying to get it into the church. And this church was having nothing to do with it. And so Jesus commends them. And he does this thing, which I think is pretty wise. He kind of compliments them on the front side. He tells them what they need to fix in the middle, and then he compliments them again on, on the back part. But this is where he closes. Look at what he says. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. You see, Jesus boils it down to the core of what he's trying to accomplish, what he wants them to understand, that eternity is on the line. Eternity is on the line. That's how he wants love to be the motivation. He wants them to always see people in light of eternity, that everyone is a soul that matters to God, no matter what they've done to us, no matter how much we like them or don't like them that our actions, our words, if they are misguided, we are messing up and we are missing out. So always remember that eternity is on the line. So, if Jesus were to mystery shop our church, what would he say? If he was going to one of our life groups, maybe your life group and just kind of hanging out, if he got into your ministry and was serving with you, maybe the coffee bar, what would he say? If he attended our confirmation program or our kids' church, what would he think? What would be the feedback that he would give? Now, I know what I hope he would give, right? I hope he'd say this, like he said to that church, that, that you are hardworking. And then when times get tough, you, you just keep going and you keep moving, right? You're just waiting for that fruit to happen. 
Or maybe you'd say, you know God's word and you faithfully teach God's word in every area of your church. And so you know and your people know what the truth is and what a lie is because they're so knowledgeable in God's word, right? They know it back and forth. Maybe you'd say, if persecution ever came to America in a heavy-handed way, I know that you would withstand it and you would hold on to your faith. But you know what I really hope you would say? is that everything that you do in this church is motivated by love. Everything. When you add on to the building, I hope it's motivated by love. When you renovate a room, I hope it's motivated by love. I hope when you pick out chairs, it is motivated by love and a movement of the Great Commission. I hope that when your staff dresses up for whatever service, that it's motivated by love. I hope that you will play whatever music needs to be played if it's motivated by love and the Great Commission. You see, the big question I think that we have to ask ourselves as we're thinking about what would Jesus say about our church or what would you say about me within the church is do I want to be a, a part of a church that I like or that serves my needs? Or do I want to be a part of a church that Jesus would like and that serves his mission? You know, one of the things I love about this church in Ephesus is the future of this church. You know, one of the cool things about uh, having church history available to us is we can actually see what happens to these churches after the fact. Now, we're not going to read again about this church in Ephesus in Scripture. We're not going to see what happens to them. But in early church history writings, we actually find out what happened to this church. You see, after the disciples, there was a group called the Apostolic Fathers. These were people who were mentored by the disciples and took the reins of the church after them. And many of them would document what was happening in the church, all the church history. And in one of their writings, we actually get a picture of what happened to this church in Ephesus who got this feedback of, hey, love is not your core motivation anymore. And you know what that historical document said? It said the church in Ephesus was known as a church that loved God and loved people. You see, they received what kind of feels like a harsh criticism, but they listened and they got better. I'm hoping throughout this sermon series that we will listen to maybe some of those truths that these other churches had to hear, take it to heart, so we can do everything that God calls us to do as a church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,